What's up and welcome back to The Sound Table. I'm your host, Austin, and I'm joined by your co-host, Miranda. Hello, hello. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. We are actually going to talk about Taylor Swift. We haven't done something like this, but this was one of the kinds of topics that we talked about doing on the podcast when we started it, specifically because somebody like Taylor Swift, love her or hate her, like her music or dislike her music. Honestly, you really can't deny what she's done with her career. And me and Miranda both kind of want to sit here and kind of speculate on some of the things that we think are the reason that she has been the biggest pop star in the world for what, like 14 or 15 years now. Yeah. A ton of studio albums. Every time she sells out a tour, it sold out in like three minutes. It's insane. So we're going to dive into a little bit of that today. We're going to give you some facts and some statistics about her new album, Midnight's. And then we're just going to talk a little bit about what we think has been so kind of untypical with her career and why she has had the longevity that almost no other pop artist of this generation has had Mm -hmm. and why her fan base is so much more loyal and supportive than literally every other fan base in the world. Right. So let's go ahead and let's dive into all of that. This started because we were talking about her just in the car driving and we were like, wait, maybe we should make this a podcast episode because she is the queen of pop. I mean, it's kind of undeniable, like you were saying. Right. Yeah. We we literally cut ourselves off from that conversation because I was like, hold on, there's a lot of good stuff in here that (laughs) that we might be able to uh, circumnavigate into a podcast episode. So we're going to talk about it today. I guess just to start. If you're not familiar with Taylor Swift, yes, you are. Like, there's no way you're listening to a a podcast from a a company that makes pop music and you don't know who Taylor Swift is. So I'm not even going to fill you in on her. But let's talk a little bit about her album, Midnight's. I know, Miranda, you've pulled up some stats about this album in particular. I don't know if there's any other Taylor Swift statistics, but let's go over the stats first. And then let's kind of dive into why I think these stats are applicable to her career. Yeah, I got some facts for you guys. I got it from a Nylon article written by Claire Valentine. Or Valentine, maybe. I'm not sure. But anyway, so this is, I think, her most popular album. Um, First week, yeah. Yeah, it sold 1.2 million album units in the first three days of the release. Not the first week, the first three days. And that's only in the United States, by the way. That is insane. Insane. And do you know what record she broke? I would assume it's 1989. No, it's her own record, though. From Reputation in 2017. Really? Yeah, which is bonkers to me. She's just out here like breaking her own records. Um, she's also the first artist to occupy the top 10 spots in the Billboard Hot 100. I think everyone has has known that one. Yeah, that's honestly starting to almost be annoying to me because I keep going to the Hot 100 to see what yeah. videos we should do to break down. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, it's Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Yeah. I'm like, what other artists do I need to make content on? We've already done a How to Make Taylor Swift Midnight's tutorial. Yeah, we released some free samples. So if you want to go grab those, go grab those. This is not just going to be like a whole Praise Taylor Swift episode. We're going to talk about some of the good and the bad, but the, the facts are crazy. Yeah. Well, it's not like praising or tearing her down it's really just like stating facts and talking about what she's done with her career because she's been in the industry I think she released her first album I was reading in 2006 which was 16 years ago I mean she has been in the limelight for over half of her life now right she's only 32 so it's not like I think she's about to be 33 but either way she's very young still all right what else we got here we got some Spotify records which is crazy because up until a few years ago she was off Spotify she is the most stream album in 24 hours with a whopping 
184.6 million streams. 184.6 million streams. I can't even wrap in my head. In 24 hours? In 24 hours. I can't even wrap my head around that. Um, she's also the most streamed act in 24 hours with 228 million streams. Uh, Drake held the record before with uh, Certified Lover Boy mm-hmm. at 153.4 million streams. So she got 30 million more streams than the before record. Just to put into the scope how big she is and like how... I feel like she is bigger than she seems. She is one of the pop artists that I think is a little bit understated with how she presents herself, which we're going to dive into a little later. Because she's like very, she still seems very down to earth and like relatable. Right. So you don't view her as this like mega pop star who's selling out arenas and performing for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. You just view her as like, oh, it's like Taylor Swift. She's like cute, like the girl next door kind of thing. Right. But you really realize that when you see something on Spotify, like Drake just released his collab album with 21 Savage. Drake, biggest rapper in the world by far for the past 10 years, 12 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. 21 Savage, also a huge top 10 rapper every time he releases something. Even with that project and all of the features that Drake does for Future and for all of these other, you know, Young Slime projects, Drake is currently sitting, even his album released even later than Taylor Swift. So the, it should be even more recent. Mm-hmm. He is still way behind her. Taylor Swift is now the number one monthly listeners in the entire country or in the entire world, I think. I think she's close to 80 million monthly listeners and Drake is sitting in like the mid 60s at the time of us recording this. And it is crazy that Taylor Swift has 15 million more monthly listeners than somebody like Drake or like Bad Bunny or like Harry Styles. And it's not even really close. Well, especially because Drake releases so much music. It's like he he has a more chance of getting like he has a higher chance of getting more monthly listeners because he releases so much. It's like there's going to be something in there for somebody. Right. I mean, Taylor did release Folklore and Evermore. Was that last year? Or yeah. the, I can't remember. I can't remember if that was 2020 or 2021. But either way, not, you know, a super long time ago. But I feel like Drake releases an album like every six months. That and his his music or, is everywhere. If you go to a sporting arena, it's there. Yeah. If you go to a store, it's there. If you go to a hip hop playlist, Drake is literally in the number one or number two spot for and he does everything. Features. He does a ton of features. Right. And so to see somebody like Taylor Swift who comes along and announces an album a week and a half before it releases and then releases the album and doesn't even really have like a lead breakout single. Like that was right. a crazy, even when I listened to Midnight's the first time, I was like, I don't know, none of these at first listen feel like a single, mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter because that album sold how many 1.1 million copies 1.2 million album units in the first three days so album units i think i was reading it includes like streams and unit sales it does it's a certain number of streams equals one say i think a thousand streams or ten thousand streams or something equals one yeah i'm not physical sale but she did sell um around like five hundred thousand vinyls well that was one of the things that i wanted to dive into is like her fan base and why i think she has continued such a long prosperous career even by kind of being a an understated artist in the sense of like she's not super glamorous she doesn't do an insane amount of press she's not going and making public appearances at yeah. basketball like she's not on like social media all the time right but one of the things that she has is her fan base will buy anything she releases and i will say along with that she is really good at merchandising yes she's very good at her marketing like releasing four albums that make a clock that's so smart do you know how many of her fans bought four of those albums so they can make that clock right so many because then you have one person now that's four sales 
Yeah, if you're not familiar with what we're referring to, Taylor Swift, basically every time she drops an album, whether it was Folklore, Evermore, this new album, she will release so many different versions of that vinyl. And the actual vinyl itself is a color, but then they also have alternate covers. They have Mm -hmm. alternate pamphlets and booklets. And it's one of those things where... Maybe you want the album in lavender, but maybe you also want it in this like burgundy kind of like acid wash. They have different covers. They have some of them like the Target releases will have different songs. And she makes every piece of merchandise feel special. She's not just releasing one vinyl and she's not just releasing a bunch of vinyls that have one small thing different. They are all very different. And so, like you said, having that thing where she had four vinyls on her website and if you put them all together, they make one big you know, like two foot by two foot clock. Mm -hmm. And then she even sells a thing on her website that is like a hanging module for you to actually hang them and make it a functioning clock. Right. And that's that's crazy. That is a whole, like, yes, with Evermore. I don't know, actually with Evermore. I know with Folklore, she um, released the different album covers and the different vinyl colors. But with this one, it gives you an incentive to buy all four. Like before it was like, oh, if you like a certain color, like, yeah, you could buy that. Or if you like one cover, like maybe you'll buy one, maybe you'll buy two. But this is like, it's an incentive to buy four. Sure. It's genius. Like, I don't think she set out with the intention of like, ooh, you know what? I'm going to do this because then I'll get four album sales instead of one. No, I think she probably, I mean, she could have granted. I don't freaking know. There her. was somebody in her camp that realized I think that. they probably, she probably thought like, oh, that would be so cool if it made a clock. And then I'm sure it was like, oh, and then we can make them all different. Oh, and then they, people could even buy four and then that'd be four album sales. Like that would be crazy. Like I'm, I know that it wasn't like, a coincidence if so then she would have you know probably done it a little differently if it wasn't just about money i mean she demolished that vinyl record though like she was the most vinyls ever sold in one day it it, maybe in recent history i don't know if we're like relating this back to like thriller or anything like that but since the resurgence of vinyl buy a lot like it's not even close Four hundred thousand physical units of vinyl is fucking insane to the point of where every vinyl pressing house has been making her albums for a couple months basically exclusively. Like, yeah. it's so many that there are vinyl houses right now that are delaying people who release their album in the summer because they've been printing Taylor Swift mm-hmm. because she is selling, she's selling more vinyls than most people will ever have in total units on anything they ever release, which is wild because well, they're 30 so- bucks a piece. And she's sold out. Yeah. Because I know that um, someone, I my a friend of a friend was trying to get one of the albums, like one of the colorways or whatever. And it, she couldn't get it because it sold out. Well, that's the like, thing that her and other artists, I think, do well is like kind of exclusivity where it's like yes. you release merch and once that merch run is done, that merch run is done. But then it creates this thing within a community of like, if you see somebody that had the Taylor Swift card again from when she released Folklore, you know, like, yeah. They were around then. I can't go buy that now. It's like with sneakers. I forgot about like, that cardigan. Yeah, I'm she a big sneakerhead. And so half the value and when a sneaker gets released is that there's only, you know, 20,000 pairs released, not 2 million pairs released. Mm -hmm. So if you see that, you know that it's an unspoken thing of they care about this. They are committed to this. They are knowledgeable about this. They were around at a certain point in time. And Taylor Swift has done that really well with merchandising because all of her stuff is very time stamped. And then once it's out, it's out. Like, I mean, she's selling a a ridiculous amount of unit. But I think that vinyl thing is like very, very smart. Yeah. I think it's like, one of the smartest marketing things I've seen from an artist in a minute. Right. I think it was really cool, really unique. And it's like, again, it is benefiting her. And that's why she's breaking all these records is because of that marketing alone. 
Like, right. I mean, not just that, but that is a huge boost. If she didn't sell almost a mi- half a million copies of a vinyl, she probably wouldn't be breaking all these records. Well, also, too, the people that buy those vinyls, like, they're giving her that sale. Sometimes they're giving her four or even five sales. Because oh, I think sure there's six variations. But then they're going to go yeah, listen to that six, album every day on Spotify, yeah. on Apple Music. They're going to buy it. On, like... The thing with a vinyl is it is an immediate purchase because it's a physical medium. It's like a CD, but nobody's ever actually going to listen. I mean, they'll listen to it occasionally, but they're not going to be in their car listening to their vinyl or at work listening to their vinyl or doing their workout and listening. So she no, is do double, <laughs> triple, or even quadruple dipping into sales and numbers yeah. just by spreading her mediums because mm-hmm. she knows that just because somebody buys a vinyl does not mean that they're not going to go give me a thousand streams within a year. Yeah. I don't know if it's her or if it's someone in her camp. I don't know who it is, but whoever it is, very smart. Hats off to you. That's what I'm saying though, is that that's what makes her this crazy artist of our generation is her marketing has always been so good. She just does things different. I don't know. Well, let's talk about a little bit of, of why her fans are so quick to support physical mediums because there's a lot of people like I don't know if Drake could move that many vinyl units I, it's just like I think he's, he's not casual that type of artist and so one of the reasons that like when we were in the car last week talking about this we were talking about is Taylor Swift has built this persona she's built this community and she's built this kind of universe with her music where her fans are much more invested than the average music fan. Mm-hmm. When Maroon 5 drops an album, they're going to sell out their tour. They're going to sell a million copies of their album. But most of that is casual listeners who are just like, yeah, I like Maroon 5. Right. But with Taylor Swift, she has had this arc in her career where background or not, she has appeared to be this kind of come up story of this small town girl. Mm-hmm. And I know that she has a backstory that a lot of people will debate and talk about. But with that said... That doesn't matter at all. What matters is her persona and how people think Mm -hmm. she is. And so she started in country, but it was a very pop country. But it was something that when she was 14, 15, 16, writing these songs and releasing these songs, they were very relatable to people between the ages of 10 and 18. But as she was releasing these albums, what she did really well was she's always been a very kind of personal artist and songwriter, which means that people her age that are in her demographic have related to her. And what she's done over the years is she's changed her sound gradually and gradually and gradually and she's changed her writing styles gradually to the point where if you were 14 when taylor swift was 16 and you liked her music now that you're 26 and she's 20 or now if you're you know 29 and she's 32 you're still going to like it because as you've grown as things have happened in your life either she's experienced that or she's written about experiences that are very Mm -hmm. parallel so she's been able to make these lifelong fans where somebody like drake or even the weekend i love both of them a lot Mm -hmm. but their music even if it has evolved, like Drake has kind of transitioned from R&B to hip hop and The Weeknd has gone from alternative R&B to pop. Yeah, but it doesn't have a story like hers does. Right, the subject, they didn't start young enough or they at least didn't start with a perception of them being young enough where they were relatable from the first time and they've stayed relatable. They've kind of yeah. gone the superstar route where yes. I almost want to seem like, which it's is a totally un- viable route. untouchable kind right. of thing. It's like, yeah. they are important. They are at the top. They are decked out in designer. They are walking around with a posse of 40 people and that's a totally valid approach approach to celebrity. I'm not going to argue that at all. It was what worked for Michael Jackson. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But Taylor Swift has kind of taken the opposite approach where she's kind of been this kind of young, humble, 
with the appearance of coming up from like a very relatable background. And she's been able to deliver that through her music and it's kind of transitioned as her fans have. So if you like Taylor Swift and you were 14, you probably still like her. And she spread her genres and she spread her styles enough where over the years, even if you don't like Speak Now because you're not a big pop country fan, you might like Lover because it's got some kind of indie pop cuts that you're a little bit more into. Or you might like Reputation because it's a little bit darker and grittier. The thing is, she's got a little bit of something for everybody, but she changes it gradually enough to where if you're already a fan, you're going to remain a fan probably, at Mm. least if you're a committed fan. She doesn't switch up enough to really dissuade people. No, I think the reason too is she's very vulnerable with her writing and she's very like honest and and like you were saying, relatable. So like when you were that age and nostalgic, like it feels nostalgic now, like when I hear, you know, like Tim McGraw and Picture to Burn, like I get fucking pumped because it's like oh I listened to that song when I was like 11 years old 12 years old whatever however old I was when it came out and it feels nostalgic now and like hearing a 15 year old 16 year old Taylor Swift write these songs and then hearing where she is now at 32 you now I can relate to her new songs it's like it's so smart what she's done Mm -hmm. and she's gone through your 20s are a very difficult time. And it's a and very- And your late teens. It's, and it's such a teens. self-discovery era. Yeah, yeah, you're in like self-discovery mode trying to figure out who the hell you are. She has written that into her songs, which I think makes people relate to them and makes them like them and like- 100%. Makes people feel like they have this out. And I feel like not a lot of artists do that, except like, I would say Adele maybe does that as well. I think she's really good at that, which I think is why she- all her albums are her are ages. She had a really great quote. It's one of my favorites ever. When she released her new album and she was doing press, mm-hmm. the press kept being like, well, what's the TikTok song? What's the single? And she was like, not everything has to be that. Like there needs to be music for 20 year olds, but then there needs to be music for their parents. And yeah. like, that is such an untapped market, especially for modern artists. It's like, just because you're over 40, you shouldn't have to go listen to Hall & Oates. Yeah, it's like, not like you stop listening to music when you hit 35. Like that's crazy. Right. But that's how, you know, the music industry kind of views people. Which which is funny because they focus on the demog- the music industry in general kind of focuses on the demographic that has that, no money. <laughs> yeah, does not have yeah. the disposable income. It's like it is so easy for Taylor Swift to sell out a stadium tour and to sell her vinyls because her 30 year old fans have more money. likely have disposable income rather than a 17 year old weekend fan or a 17 year old right. little Yachty fan. It's like there's always going to be committed fans that will find some way to support, whether that's just streaming or purchasing or whatever. But People like Adele and like Taylor Swift who shatter these records primarily because of physical sales in an era where people say physical sales don't really exist is 100% because they have demographics that more often than not have enough disposable income to support them in some way or another with a physical purchase. Yeah. I was going to say Adele actually is the one who has... The most by a lot, the most first week sales by a lot. It's not even close. It was 25, 25 ended up having like 3.2 million sales the first week. It was something like that. Which will never be broken ever. Probably. That is bonkers to think about. That's so, that's so many, like what the heck? Right. But it's kind of, honestly, Adele and Taylor Swift couldn't sound more different musically. No, but they have had similar ethos into their approach of like i'm gonna remain relatable i'm gonna remain humble and i'm going to spotlight even i would say like right i mean like obviously taylor swift gets articles written about her but it's not like she's out here like she doesn't go on like a ton of interviews do a ton of press at least anymore i guess she did probably used to but i feel like 
ever since the pandemic, really, even like with folklore and everything, she kind of just remains not like quiet, but she kind of just like does her own thing. She's like, doesn't really, if I'm being honest, she probably doesn't really need press. She doesn't. Like she has her own Instagram where she can promote anything that she needs to promote. Right. Like she did the whole, when she was releasing all her album arts or her album names. And then when she actually released the album at midnight, she's like, oh guys, wait, there's something coming at 3 a.m. It's like, she doesn't need, she doesn't need press. Yeah. Like she's Taylor Swift. (laughs) Well, And the thing that she's done really well too is like, she's remained in the spotlight enough to stay relevant by releasing music or, or. You know, especially within the recent years, she will speak out on a cause or she will share Mm -hmm. her political opinion or something like that to, you know, to serve kind of the greater good. But she has always kind of been this very palatable character in her music and just as a person. She is not very abrasive when she talks about anything she believes in, which I'm not saying is good or bad. I think more recently, in the more recent years, though, in the past seven years, maybe, yeah, she has been a little more outspoken. Definitely, but enough to where but fans I'll- that believe in that get really yeah. pumped that she's standing up for things. But fans that might really like her music that don't have the same political opinion won't be so turned off where there are other artists that are basically like, if you don't believe this, if you don't think the same as me and if you don't vote like that fuck off I don't even want your support and that is a totally fine way to think and I'm totally in favor of that you can believe whatever you want to believe and if you want to uh kind of build that community around you that's totally fine but Taylor Swift has done a really good job of kind of balancing where I think she's given her opinion but she also hasn't necessarily ostracized people so she still remains in front of a huge market. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are some people who are very conservative or who might think that she has crossed lines over the past that are not going to support her. And that's, you're just always going to oh, have yeah. that. But compared to how a lot of people speak, like let's just say Ariana Grande, for example. I love Ariana Grande, but she is very open about voting. She is very open about politics. And mm-hmm. she talks about that a lot. And so it is going to dissuade. Or someone like Halsey. Right. It is going to dissuade mm-hmm. conservative fans. But Taylor Swift, I think, has always been, especially coming up from the small kind of rural background that she... Well, alleged. She's right. from Pennsylvania. I'm <laughs> saying that she has painted into her brand. Yeah. Well, maybe it was rural. I don't know. She grew up on like a Christmas tree farm or something like that, right? So right. that's kind of rural. <laughs> she's always done well enough of speaking her mind to where people are like, okay, she does have beliefs. Like she's not just this like privileged person who kind of just says whatever, does whatever. But I don't think she's necessarily gone to the extreme where she has ostracize people and that could be for right. better or for like, worse i don't think she's going to like rallies necessarily but i also don't know if she can do that right <laughs> so so i mean no matter how you feel about that i think it is a fact that she still has such a large pool of audience members especially mm-hmm. in a time where there is a huge political divide in the arts i do think that that's probably played into it is the fact that like she has such a wide net of people and she's done pretty well to not make herself super unlikable but yeah. like It is a crazy story. I do want to talk about, do you think that her entire career arc from releasing her debut self-titled album that was all over CMA, that was all over MTV, do you think that she could, we could have an artist now that starts in the same place as her, whether that's on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, but then over the next 14, 15 years is still the biggest pop star and has completely metamorphosized their brand as they've gone along with their fans? Or do you think that with social media now, are we going to see less and less of this prolonged kind of career arc like somebody like Taylor Swift or Adele has had? Yeah, I think that's hard. I don't think anyone will ever replicate what she's done because I think that there's just certain artists that you can't replicate what they've done, like the Beatles, Michael Jackson, 
Taylor Swift. Like you can't right. replicate these people. No, no matter how you feel about any of them, whether your individual opinion on them is, you can't deny that they've all had incredible careers and that they've changed the history of music. And, and pop culture. Yes. And it's like, I don't know if anyone will be able to do what she's done. I don't know why. I don't know. I, I think the closest person that might be able to do it is Olivia Rodrigo, but I'm not even sure because she started out already famous as an actress and then right. she transitioned into music. Granted, I think she always wanted to do music, but I think she might be the closest because of how vulnerable she is on her album and how personal she writes and how relatable her writing is to her audience. Like, at the, like because, you know, right. she was 18 and she's writing all these songs that sound like an 18-year-old who got her heart broken is writing songs. And a lot of 18-year-olds, you know, 20-year-olds or younger are going to relate to that. Right. So I think that maybe she could do something similar. I don't know anyone. I, like, it's shocking to me when I was reading, because I was like, when was Taylor Swift's first album? I'm thinking like 2008, 2006 was when her album released and it did like crazy well. That is bonkers to me. Yeah. Like I was thinking, I was like, holy shit, that's 16 years. That's half of her life. Well, and that was one thing that I wanted to say too, is like she kind of came along in that heyday of it was music labels and she signed to a small music label at first. Like Big Machine was a no-name mm -hmm. label when she signed, but they basically put everything into her. And that was in the days where if you got a label and they were going to fund you and they, they decided that you were the biggest artist in the world, you were going to be the biggest artist in the world. You were yeah. getting on all the radio stations, you were doing all the press appearances. And she was kind of at the heyday going into the tail end of that where then we had uh, things like LimeWire happened where like yeah. illegal downloading and pirating and streaming. And then after that, we had Apple Music and Spotify. And then now we kind of have this weird resurgence where I think people are relating more to indie artists or at least artists who feel indie or artists that are incorporating some kind of like brand or things like the merchandising. But I think that by the time we got to the point where most artists were getting started in our generation, so like the streaming era, Taylor Swift already had millions of adorning fans. Oh, yeah. And she kept going. Like Jonas Brothers, huge at the time. Taylor Swift was huge at the start of her career. They didn't continue. And no. like if they did, who knows how big they would be now. Mm -hmm. They started, they had their start as a big label-fronted band. Took a bunch of time off, but then now they've come back and now they're a completely different band. Now they're a band mm -hmm. that has to focus on streaming. They have to focus on their arena tours. And it's, it is rare to see somebody who made that transition so seamlessly from being a big label rollout and to somebody who now has kind of split from that original deal. I know she signs, you know, like distribution deals with the Republican stuff still. Yeah. I do think that like the transition from being a big label rollout artist into somebody who is now in the ears of everybody through Spotify, even after years of publicly denouncing Spotify. It's just fucking mind-blowing. You know, I was wondering, though, um, of her, like, when she came out against Spotify because they weren't paying artists enough, and after, like, a year or however long it was, she went back on Spotify. Did they change their payout for artists? No, not for me, at least. Mine's been the same since I did my first song on Spotify. Was that when before she dropped though? Because I don't remember when yeah, that 2016, was. 2016, 2015. I don't remember when it was because I was curious because I was like, why would she go back? I mean, obviously because because you know you want streams and her label was probably like, uh, get back on there. I don't know who she if she was even on a label at the time. But that might have been at the end of Big Machine. Yeah, so I'm not sure, but I was just curious. But I think to the market now. With streaming, social media, and music being way more accessible, which is 
amazing. I think the market's very saturated and people, like you were saying, a lot of people like a lot of smaller artists. We're seeing artists who will have a platinum debut record and then never release again because they've already been forgotten about. Or like back in mm-hmm. when Taylor Swift got started, if you released a platinum record, people were anxiously awaiting well, your second record. Well, the radio record. was so much more important. Right. Like no one listens to, I mean, I'm sure there are people who listen to radio, but not a lot. It was very gatekept. Not a lot of younger people listen to the radio, at least, which is obviously the future. So I think... You know, and back then, if you were on the radio, it was like, oh, you made it. Yeah, if you broke through, you were staying in unless you fucked it up. Yeah, but now it's like with streaming, it makes things, it's like, it's hard. It makes them more accessible, but also more difficult at the same time. There is no promise that when you break through, you stay through now. And like, I think that was what I was kind of alluding at. I think you did a better job of really pulling out like the key point of that is that like, by the time Taylor Swift got into the digital age where every single time you release, that might be the last time you have a big record. Mm-hmm. She had enough stable fans that have been with her for 10 years or 12 years or whatever at that time to where she had people anxiously awaiting her next album. The Weeknd is like that. Drake is like that. But Taylor Swift is at a whole different level because of all of the merchandising and all of the touring and things that we've kind of talked about earlier. It's just such a, it, it is a career path that I don't know if you can replicate now because I don't think so. Breaking into the market is harder than ever and then staying in the market is harder than ever. There are hundreds of thousands of songs released every single day. Oh, yeah. And at some level, it is a decently equal playing field where I could be an artist that's releasing my first song ever and get on New Music Friday, where there could be an artist that had a platinum record last year that's not on New Music Friday. It's just insanely volatile right now and it wasn't back then. And she got to she got to build her fan base at a time where once you built them, they stuck around a lot longer. And I kind of feel like she was, I mean, I don't know if she was necessarily the first of her kind, but I do feel like she was one of the first, like this like indie pop country girly coming along, like singing these like heartbreak songs. Country enough for that community, poppy enough for that community. Yeah. I don't know. Young enough. So every, especially girl, but a lot of boys too. Like I yeah. love singers with growing up could relate like she Mm -hmm. really nailed it i wasn't a huge country fan but i loved dear john i loved picture to burn Mm -hmm. i loved tim mcgraw and white horse like they're just good pop songs because they're not country yeah yeah they're country balanced pop songs Mm -hmm. but i was gonna say i don't remember there could have been other artists at that time that were literally doing the exact same thing i was like 10 so i don't remember exactly well she's kind of like the picture perfect pop star right she's like yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah, she's beautiful enough to be, people want to look at her, but she's not intimidating. Like the, her looks are not her number one feature. She's not being rolled out like a pop artist where they're like, we are going to release the hottest pop artist well, you can imagine. And her looks and her body, that is going to be her she's selling not, point. Like typically, especially with w- women pop stars, they are- They are sold for sex appeal. Yes, like Britney Spears- poor Britney Spears, like 18 years old, marketed as a sex object, practically. Like, are you kidding me? Like she was an 18 year old, but Taylor Swift was not that. She started young enough and she stayed in the same path where she never became that. So she was beautiful enough to be like, oh my God, this is like a beautiful pop star, but was never really sold for her sex appeal. Again, she kind of has remained in the middle enough of genres and of opinions to keep a very, very broad fan base. And I think she's like, she's kind of like quirky and she's like, She's like, I was never the cool kid in school. And like, you know, she has all these things about her that make her relatable and approachable enough to where you're like, you could almost see yourself in her her and like relate to her in all these ways because she's not this like, she doesn't seem so out of touch, unattainable to where you're like, "I, I could totally actually be friends with this person because she's 
very relatable, seems like, I hate to say seems like a real person because obviously celebrities are real people, but they are normally historically, especially artists, marketed as these these unattainable people. So she has, I feel like, made herself feel more attainable. You feel like you could go grab a coffee with Taylor Swift yeah. much more than you could with Doja Cat. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like yeah. that does play into how much people invest their time into you. Like mm-hmm. the connection at the end of the day is really what drives music. It's what drives people enjoying music. And when people feel like they can connect to an artist, I think that that's why like I get a little bit turned off when I see a bunch of small artists trying to like Hollywood it and like yeah. act like they're important and try to get into the VIP section. It's like, dude, build that ground up fan base. Like that is the most beautiful relationships that you can build with fans. And some of my favorite artists, they are still like that. Like yeah. I love an artist who is honest about who they are, where they come from. They seem relatable. They're nice to their fans. Mm-hmm. And there's this warmth behind them and their music and their brand. And it is very interesting to see that scaled up to the highest selling artist in the past 40 years. I think her community that she has created is one of the best things that she has done. Right. And again, back to her being so good with marketing. She is so good with all these Easter eggs that she does and all of her fans look for them. And she's been doing it for so long that now she like, does it because she knows her fans are going to look for these things. And she'll even say things like, guys, this is not, I'm not trying to do like an Easter egg thing here. It's like, that's how dedicated her fans are to looking for this stuff. And her fans are so dedicated that they know, oh, this song is talking about this. And like, this song is actually relating to this. And when she said that line, she's talking about, I don't know any of that stuff. I'm more of a casual Taylor Swift fan, which is hard to believe that it exists, but it does. Sometimes I even get swept up in it when I like see all these people talking about all this stuff and all this stuff that connects and here's like an Easter egg for this. It's fascinating. That's what I think she does so well is creating this, what do you call it? Like a stream of connecting. Like a universe. Yeah, the stream. Yeah, like she's created her own universe where everything is connecting and it's genius because then you're like, oh wait, in this song she's referencing that song that she wrote back in 2012. Well, now I got to listen to that song. Well, one thing that does is it drives a lot of conversation. If I was to log yeah. on to TikTok right now, oh, I guarantee you the most popular videos of the past two weeks are the ones that are like, did you hear when Taylor Swift said this in XYZ and it relates to this? Did mm-hmm. you see in her anti-hero music video where she's hinting that she's going to release this next? And it's yeah. like, there are now millions of people all trying to point out this Easter egg because if you find them, it makes you seem dedicated. It makes you seem smart. It makes you seem like, look, I understood it. And so everybody wants to talk about it. Everybody wants to make it known that they understood that. And it drives so much peripheral content around what she does and when she does it that it starts millions of conversations that other artists just don't have. Like, Mm -hmm. look at the Marvel Universe. That is the biggest franchise to ever exist by far because over 10 or 11 years, they were able to string together 20 to 30 movies Mm -hmm. and at the start iron man did okay when it came out it was a cool superhero movie it was well done it got okay reviews but the funny thing about iron man is people started caring about that movie much 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 more when the first avengers came out and people were like oh shit that iron man movie and that captain america movie I need to go back and I need to watch those because there are things that I need to grab from that. There are images that I need to see. They are villains that are, that are going to come back up. Yeah. And Marvel did a really good job because now not only do you want to go see Iron Man or not only do you want to go even see the newest Avengers or the Black Panther movie. Now, if you want to see that, you're going to be better off if you go watch the other 25 movies 
probably two or three times. Yeah. They've got all of these people on YouTube who are doing Easter egg breakdowns and talking about them all the time. They've got all of this merchandise that they can kind of reuse and keep incorporating and circle back and forth. And building that universe creates like almost a cult. Like it are pe- yeah. it's people that are going to look for things in that content, like for how people in religions look in their religious texts for meaning. They're going to go through and they're going to listen to Midnight in a totally different mindset than somebody who just wants to hear a good pop song because they are looking for things that are going to give meaning to other things. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And she's the only artist that's doing it at a level like that. And the only other comparison I can think of is literally like, superhero movies that have yeah. these really expansive 10 year long universes i was gonna say i think she's just, there's probably there's other artists that do that obviously but she's right, just like the weekend's it. really good at incorporating easter eggs too yeah but it's not like this and she's just been creating it doing it for so long the weekend's really good at creating universes for each album i don't they don't always necessarily connect his ones do now he's doing like a trilogy thing i think but right. um she's been doing that for like 15 years which is crazy i don't actually know if it's in the entire career but It's absolutely bonkers to think about that. And the way that she does it is like some people can turn their nose up at it and think that it's corny or whatever, that she's trying too hard. But the thing is, if you're not looking for them, you don't notice that they're there. So you don't care. Right. Like, but if you are looking for them, it's kind of like a nice little incentive to becoming a really invested Taylor Swift fan. Well, and it makes you feel special and like included in something when you understand something or when you pick up on something she was saying or pick up on something she put in a music video you're like oh wait yeah I know I'm on the inside of this too like I'm a part of this like I know so I'm saying she's done a really good job of creating this community and a every Taylor Swift fan is very like dedicated to each other too like it's they all are so nice well I don't know if they're all nice to each other but they seem like a very sweet community it is every other week that in Orlando I see some kind of Taylor Swift listening party or mm-hmm. album party or DJ party like there's literally one at the House of Blues it's gonna sell out 2,000 yeah. people that will literally all just show up and dress in some kind of costume that hints at one of the Taylor Swift yeah. Easter eggs and listen to Taylor Swift for two hours and make a bunch of new friends yeah, and have a few very, drinks and yeah, party and it's a very sweet community I was gonna say when I I posted that I liked the new album because I when I honestly when I first listened to it, Midnight's I did not like it. I was I didn't like either. I liked two songs. And I was like, other than that, I was like, mm, I don't know. But then Austin was listening to it so much because he was doing the How to Make a Taylor Swift song. And then I was like, wait, this actually sounds kind of good. And I gave it a, another listen and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Maybe I do like this album. But when I I was gonna say when I posted that I liked it, got so many replies and so many people just wanting to talk about you know, her album, the new album, past albums, favorite songs, like, and it's just so sweet. It's just so innocent. It's what makes music amazing. And like, that's what makes music special is that it brings these people together because you all love this one common thing. Right. But her fans have done a good job and she's done a good job of making that an accepting and loving community and not this like, like you would think because she does all these Easter eggs and these like hidden meanings that it would be kind of like a a, competition. Yeah. And like a, like a, like a hierarchy. Yeah. Hierarchy where it's like, okay, I'm the biggest Taylor Swift fan because I own every single album. I've gone to this many concerts, blah, 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 blah. I've been a fan since her, since I was this. Like, they don't care. They're like, oh, you just now, like, if you're just a Taylor Swift fan just now in 2022 from Midnight's, they're going to accept you just as much as if you were a fan since, you know, Taylor Swift's debut album. I don't think they're going to care because they're just such a dedicated, tight-knit community and they just all love her and what she does in her art. Well, that's another thing, too, that we haven't even dove into was like, if you find a Taylor Swift song now, like for some reason, you've been under a rock for the past 
15 years and you just now find a Taylor Swift song that you like and you realize, I think I like this. I want to hear more of this. This is something that we talk about in an episode that will be coming up with Platinum. So I'm kind of like doing a sneak peek at what we talk about uh-huh. with him. Yeah. But we on that episode, we will talk a lot about one of the things that helps artists, especially with longevity, is having a catalog to where when you make one fan, that fan can now support you over a hundred different songs. Yeah. They can go back and they can listen to your catalog. They can find the country album that they might like. They can find the pop album that they might not love. But that's totally fine because a new fan is always going to have a plethora of other options to explore to mm-hmm. support you where they can I could I could go to Taylor Swift Spotify and I could spend the entire day listening to that where you if could I could spend like three weeks I feel like right where I could go to Olivia Rodrigo Spotify because she's a new artist and I can listen to one album for 45 minutes and yeah. then I'm done yeah and like it is just crazy that over the years she has released and released and released and been pretty steady mm-hmm. and every album has had a slightly different sound it's kind of evolved but they all still feel like Taylor Swift. So if if you liked her first album, you probably still like her. And mm-hmm. if you really, really, really like her new stuff, you'll probably find some older stuff that you're going to enjoy too. Because even though she's played around with genres and styles, she still kind of stayed true to her songwriting. Her voice hasn't changed a ton. It's just matured a little bit. Yeah, her and writing is very She stayed in her lane. Yeah, I think everyone, and you're lying if you say you don't, has at least one Taylor Swift song that they like. I don't think it's literally possible to not like one. Whether well, it's a maybe guilty if, pleasure. Maybe or... for my friend Danielle and you absolutely can't stand her voice because you've heard it too many times. But most other people, as long as it's not something like that. But you've got the albums like Folklore and Evermore that are a little bit more singer-songwriter based. And she worked with The National. And, and those albums are really beautifully well-produced, well-written albums. So if that's your lane, you're probably going to like that. You might not like 1989. That's this really wrong. bombastic Max Martin and Jack Antonoff pop production. But if you're a big pop fan, that is one of my favorite pop albums of all time. I literally, Charlie Puth was just in an interview and he said 1989 is his favorite pop album of all time. And it's one of the reasons he started making pop music instead of just doing jazz and stuff. And it's because like when when she finds a lane, (laughs) she finds a way to, I can't even say be the best because that's a very um, personal subjective thing. Mm -hmm. But she does find a way to objectively be the most palatable for that. So when like whatever she writes, she's doing, she's crushing it. Yeah. She writes very catchy like melodies or catchy lyrics, whether you like some of her, like some of her lyrics that can be a little corny, sure. But that's just like, that's kind of her writing. Like it's kind of, you just got to kind of accept that. Right. And corny is not always, that's not a bad thing. It's just like, it is what it is. Kind I of like thing. corny romantic comedies. Yeah, but I was like, going to say corny's cute sometimes. It might have a 22 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it makes me feel good when I watch it. And then there might be a movie that has a hundred on Rotten Tomatoes that when I watch it, I'm just like, fuck, this is really slow paced. It mm-hmm. kind of bums me out. Like I thought I hated Pulp Fiction. I it's one of it. the most, like, rem- don't even <laughs> it's one of the most renowned movies of all time. And but like has every day following. of the week, I'd rather watch a shitty 2000s rom-com than Pulp Fiction. hundred percent. Yeah. And like, like I'd rather watch 51st States, which has like a terrible Rotten Tomatoes score. Right. And there's always going to, be those subsets of people. So I feel like one thing that I think if you're listening to this and you're an artist or you're a producer or you're a songwriter is like, you don't always have to go for the exact same market that everybody else is going for. You don't always have to make the most artsy, but still palatable pop music that's kind of pushing the boundary, but kind of playing around with like these old nuances. It's like, dude, sometimes just make whatever the fuck you want and somebody is going to listen to it and enjoy it. And like, I think that that really is something that she's done and she's kind of evolved with. I think that this was a risky album. I feel like it was very different for her. And 
I mean, granted, like her fans are very dedicated, but she didn't know that her fans would like this, obviously, because it was very different from her. And I've heard from a couple of dedicated Swifties that this wasn't their, they didn't like it at first, right. but now they really do. Because I think, I think it was, I think that's why I didn't like it at first. It was just so like not shocking that's so dramatic but it was a little like a little underwhelming off guard a little bit to where i was like oh that was like not what i was expecting at all plus i keep like hoping that she's gonna do like another 1989 kind of thing because i love that album but you know i can't put that on her but i think that's what a lot of people probably did is they just didn't expect this from her because it's very different yeah, it's and, a little bit more mellow. It's a little bit kind of lo-fi-y. She yeah. plays around with like some indie pop production. And the vocal production's very strange, which she normally doesn't do. She normally has a very like clean vocal. She has like vocal stacks maybe, but she doesn't do like a bunch of weird stuff. I feel like like she kind of did Some of these album. songs are like legitimately produced like the 1975 because Jack Antonoff did this album mm-hmm. and also did the new 1975. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a few songs on here that she's got that like roomy space tape echo kind of vibe. Or there's a couple songs on here that... Like, literally, Lavender Haze, it's so funny because the thing is, like, you would expect the biggest artist in the world to be such a stickler when it comes to quality management. And maybe this is an intentional thing. I don't know how it would be. Within the first 30 seconds of Lavender Haze, there is audible clipping in spots that artistically probably there shouldn't be clipping in, where it's like, it doesn't make sense. Like, if you clip a guitar input or something, that makes sense. It's like an artistic choice. You just said that. These are things that sound like an error, though. Yeah. And they're in the first 30 seconds of her album, and nobody gives a shit. No. Like, and like they're not, in my opinion, it's not mixed amazing like it's not mixed bad but a lot of the time i'm like damn it's a little dark like these vocals need to be louder i can't hear shit but again i'm kind of like picky with mixes so maybe we're comparing that to like a super bright bombastic 1989 or even folklore though the mixing on folklore is great folklore was an folklore was an incredible album yeah like artistically and and i think that might be her least successful album actually evermore i think it's only did like four hundred thousand or something like no, that. No, that was Evermore. Folklore oh, did a you're lot. Right, Folklore right, did right, like right. eight hundred or nine hundred. But that, 000. but the only reason I think that that didn't do as well as for other ones, one, it was released during a pandemic, and two, she just released it. Oh yeah, like she didn't do any kind of rollout. She was just like, oh, by the way, I'm releasing an album like right. tomorrow or whenever she. Re- I can't remember what she did, but. But we've talked a lot about Taylor Swift. I don't want this podcast to only be about her. I do want to have a little section before we close out of, do you think there are any things that she has done throughout her career? I know we talked about how her kind of career arc is going to be hard, if not impossible to replicate now. Mm-hmm. But do you think there are any things that she's done, whether that's creating a community or adding through through lines or or anything like that, that smaller artists or smaller producers or writers that are up and coming could utilize to kind of leverage more attention for their own their own path i mean yeah definitely i think even if you're a smaller artist i think you can create your own universe i think one of the artists that i really love that i think are very creative is this band called half alive i think they kind of do that they create like these visuals and these music videos that kind of all seem like they kind of might go together in these storylines that might be connecting um, granted, I haven't been following them for that long, so I do not know. Right. But I think they do a very good job of creating this community. And they're very, in my opinion, they're very artsy, very creative. And I think they do a really good job of 
creating a community for that. So if that's your kind of personality and that's the kind of stuff that you're into. Not only do they release amazing songs, but then they've got the visuals. Their show that we went to, we didn't know who Half Alive was when we went to the show. No we idea. went to hang out with Riley because he was tour managing it and mm-hmm. I wanted to hang out with Riley in person. So he he got us on the list and we just went and I was like, I'm excited. I like live music. Unless this fucking sucks, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. And we went in there with no expectations. We watched it from a balcony. We weren't even on the floor or anything like that. But- at that show, there were people with signs. There were people crying. There it were people beautiful. that looked like they were having the best night of their lives. And then Half Alive did such an amazing job of, even in a small venue, like it was at, where was that? The Beecham, which Beecham is like in downtown maybe 1,500 people. It's like a standing room only venue. Mm-hmm. It's a cool venue, but it's not huge. It's not even like a house of blues. No. But they used whatever space they had to do choreographed dances. They had art installations. It was literally They had like a, a slam poetry section where there was like a break for the band. There were so many of these things that were unconventional, but that their fans loved. Where yeah. even us, as somebody who wasn't even a casual listener, we were like, not familiar I with I literally them. did not know one of their songs. We were standing there and we were like, what is happening? This is insane, but it is so fucking cool. And then we so left cool. that uh, we left that concert, listened to the album all the way home, and we were like, wow, they sound great in the studio as well. These are good songs at the core, but their live show is even crazier. Mm-hmm. And now, Give Me Your Shoulders Part 1 ended up being one of both of our most listened to albums. Oh, we're it's both, one of my favorite albums of this year for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're both highly anticipating the follow-up, and their drummer, Brett, is in my fantasy basketball <laughs> league now. So it's True. like, it is crazy. It all comes full circle, but they do such a good job of not only having music, but having a brand, having a community, yeah. having an aura around them. I think as long as you create a safe space for people to feel like they can be themselves and they can relate to other people like them, I think you can create a community of anything. That's all a community is. All people want is to feel included and not feel judged. And I think as long as you do that as an artist, you can create your own community. Another thing too is just like obviously playing with the Easter eggs and giving people an incentive to not only listen to one of your songs, but go listen to your entire catalog so they can string it all together. Mm -hmm. And then outside of that, if you are an artist right now trying to make a living, you should have very, very, very cool fucking merch. Like, Merch is the best way for artists to supplement their income, especially in a time where streaming payouts aren't great if you're not racking in hundreds of thousands or at least a couple million streams a month. One t-shirt that you can sell for $20 or $30 is going to make you more money than tens of thousands of streams. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're to the point where you can find an artist that you can collaborate with, if you can, you know, afford to save up some money and do a merch run for a t-shirt. And if you can find a way to build that community that wants to support that, and then you can also offer them something where they feel like it's cool that they own a t-shirt from you because other people will see that. And it's kind of like, and if you know, you know thing. Yeah. Especially if you do like cool, like not just like your name, like artist name across the front of it. If you can have really cool merch to yeah. people, even somebody who, my my thing is, I if you're releasing bands, wearable I merch. I don't really like, I don't like, am I a dedicated fan? No, but I like that. I like that t-shirt like I would buy that I've done that that. that's what I'm gonna say if you're an artist that's wearing wear that's making wearable merch yeah it should be to where somebody who has never heard your music would be like that's sick I'm gonna Mm -hmm. wear it and somebody that has heard your music it's gonna be like I feel really cool and part of a community for wearing this yeah I think try to find some way to incorporate that I think the problem is that a lot of people want to use merch as free marketing which is understandable but that's not always stuff that people like want to wear out. I think those are some really cool points is like build a community, have incentives that that community can support you with. And it kind of gives them an area to stand out. So things like physical merch. And then other than that, just kind of like build relationships and build these through lines through your content. I'm not saying that everything needs to be as like cinematic and Easter eggy as Taylor Swift, but like. No, I mean, she has a 
first of all, she's had a budget for a very a big budget for a long time. Right. She had a, a huge label behind her giving her money. Well, at the end of the day, even if you're not going to follow her exact steps, she you have to admire the amount of effort and detail that she puts into everything. So if you're yeah. an artist or a producer, trying to incorporate some of that effort and detail, I think is going to go a long way. Yeah. I don't think you need to necessarily like copy what she does because I don't right. think it can be replicated. But I think it's definitely something to take inspiration from. There are fundamental things that have worked for her that if you incorporate them well, I promise you will work or yeah. they will at least enhance whatever you're at already doing. Minimum her marketing and merchandising. Yeah. If you could take, you know, inspiration from some of those things for that your and not own being art. afraid to transform your sound and yes. not release the same album 45 times. Yeah, it's true. But we've talked about a lot. I think that at this point, if you didn't understand, you probably at least understand now why Taylor Swift is one of the biggest artists of the past 40 years. It's just been a perfect storm of marketing versus finding the right fan base versus keeping the right people around you the entire time. And I think she's done an amazing job, but I do want to close this out. And before we go, we're going to do a little bit of a recommendation. So Miranda, you have to do a recommendation. What are you recommending this week for the people? Okay, I'm going to recommend these french fries which i know sounds so weird this is the most vegan recommendation i've ever heard <laughs> it's the most miranda recommendation i've ever heard um anyone who knows me i basically could eat french fries every day i'm not i don't but i would um so it's just a frozen french fry get in your grocery store it's from the brand grown in idaho it's like a brown bag and has a little picture of Ida, the state of Idaho it's ugly on it. ass packaging oh yeah it's like very like meh but they they're um they're hand cut fries they also have like super crispy sh sh um shoestring and like steak fries I think but I like their hand cut fries the best what's the, the brand, brand one more time grown in Idaho they are honestly they're so good so much better than like the Orida or like the you know, market pantry or the Whole Foods or whatever, they, if you just throw them in the oven, like they actually get crispy. They yeah. taste like a fast food fry. They're so, so like, good. I heard someone say that that's actually what they use in restaurants a lot of the time. Right. Um, Like the frozen french fry they use in restaurants. They're so good, you guys. For they, Like when you bake them, they they don't taste fried as in like they're greasy, but they got the crunchy outside and the soft inside like they are fried, which is amazing but holy that's, shit that's gotta be my recommendation i did not think we were getting a french fry recommendation but that's I'm, cool man you know what i'm really into them and i don't know what else i'm into right now so you're into apples and peanut butter right now i i'm just i'm yeah i'm really into honey crisp apples which again if anyone's listening to this who knows me i know i always say i hate apples but i don't know you guys i'm like really into them honey crisp especially be hitting honey crisp, yeah they're so crispy and good i don't know what it is all right what's yours uh, I'm going to go ahead and do a recommendation that's also kind of a selfless uh, or a selfish promo. Oh, shit. So at the time of releasing this, this will release on Monday, November 14th. So if you're listening to this Monday, November 14th or anytime after, on November 21st, we are releasing our first ever start to finish production course. I am so excited about this. It's 14 and a half hours. It's a 76 lesson course. It comes with all kinds of really cool stuff. You've got stems and multi-tracks that are in raw format and in process format. We've got all kinds of cool downloads. We've got contract templates, invoice templates, consultation call mockups. And not only do you get the 76 lessons and all of that other stuff, but we also have an exclusive community where we're going to do follow-up content. You can ask questions about the course as you go through it. And it's just going to be a really cool place to learn and to grow. Speaking of communities all throughout this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I am really, 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 really excited for this course. We've been conceptualizing a course of this size now for probably three or four years. 
And we've been actively working on this literally every single day for the past few months. So I'm super excited. It was a lot to film. It was a ton for Miranda to edit. It's been a lot of work building out the website because they're all custom course modules and everything is super organized, but that's going to be my recommendation. So if you're listening to this before November 21st, uh, go check it out. When we launch that, we're also releasing our Black Friday sale. So 50% off the entire store. Uh, other than that new product, that new product is going to be $150 off. I didn't think I mentioned the price. It's going to be $500, but it'll be $350 for the week of Black Friday. And then other than that, everything in our store is going to be 50% off uh, starting November 21st and then all the way to the end of November 28th. And then other than that, it's going to remain on the site forever. So even if you're listening to this podcast in a year from now, still go check out Producer Principles because I am geeked on it right now. It's been so much freaking work and I'm just excited to get it out so we can start yeah. working on the next thing. Well, I'm fake. I probably should have recommended that. I did not know that was going to be a recommendation. That is a selfish recommendation, but I love it. And if you don't have 350 or $500, go spend the $4 on the French fries that Miranda recommended. Yep. They're delicious, guys. You will not regret it. Or, or get them. And then eat your french fries while watching the course. Other than that, that's going to do it for this podcast. I had a really good time talking about this. If you want to hear more podcasts where we talk about more kind of trivial pop culture stuff like this, please let us know. know. We can also dive more into the production and the business aspect like we normally do. We have some really cool guest episodes coming up. We've got Busy Works Beats coming up. We've got Platinum coming up. We've got a couple more people in the pipeline. So stay around for those. If you're not subscribed to the podcast or if you're not following it, make sure you follow or like the podcast on whatever platform you listen. If you want to leave us a review, That also helps us out a ton. It boosts us in the algorithm a little bit. And then other than that, if you want to support us, head over to makepopmusic.com. Again, that Black Friday sale starts November 21st. So if you want to save some money, check it out then. But if not, you can check it out literally any other time. Supporting there helps support us on this podcast and on the YouTube channel. But other than that, that's going to do it for this podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Much Much love. love. Peace. Peace.